This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody. It's not human intelligence. If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Monday, March 12th. This is episode 198. My name is Dan Ellis. Go. I'm Ryan Duffy. Go. I'm Matt Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a point and say go, and then it happens. I thought Ryan was going to pass it to me, but then oh. he just started looking off into the distance. <laughs> I, I suck at this game. <laughs> Ryan's like, I introduced myself and I'm done. Well, Look at the pretty dog. Show dogs over. I, I'm, I'm like, I introduced myself. I'm like, wow, that was loud. Did I peek? Yep, I did. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, really excited about tonight's episode. We, we recorded a fantastic interview with the wonderful Mr. Bryce Blankenagel from the Naked Mormonism podcast yes. as part of our March Mormon madness. madness. And it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. What a nice, nice, super cool guy. Yeah. yeah. I've listened to his show for quite a while and heard him on a bunch of other shows, but we have not had him on our show until this evening. And it was a very wonderful, pleasurable experience. We'll have to have him back on the show I'm, I'm again. I'm even more amazed at how he's able to retain the amount of information. There's, oh, I know. And there's like metric fuck tons fuck ton. of it. Yeah. Like I forget my own name sometimes and he knows like 300 people's names throughout history. Mm-hmm. And can tie it all together, together and relate that shit. And that's way too much for me to concern myself with other than listening to a show and going, oh, that's some interesting information right there, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we have a helicopter inbound. Yeah, those fuckers. People are probably getting hurt. Uh, they, need a bit, they need to be more careful. Uh, Hopefully they're fine. So what did you guys do over the last week? Uh, getting ready for the new house. Yeah? Yeah. Is your, your existing domicile is all set to go? Do you need to do anything else to, to get it ready? Uh, just packing, like, like, there's all this stuff that you don't pack till you, like, need to pack it, like, gotta pack up all the clothes in the kitchen and stuff, otherwise, like, most of the stuff that's, hasn't been being used, like, all my camp gear's packed up, but, like, a lot of my camera gear's all been packed away, a lot of the rooms are just basically boxes right now, so. Yeah. But the, the new buyers, did they place anything in the contract, like, we need this fixed, or we're gonna knock Not this yet. amount off for that, or Well, whatever. they just had the home inspection today, and the oh, only- okay. Since they're going FHA, if there's something from that inspector that says, hey, this needs to be fixed before they can buy the house, we have to fix that. And that inspection was today, so hopefully not. So hopefully everything will check out A-OK. Yeah, I did I did my research on what this required for FHA loans, and I went through it, and I'm like, well, this everything should be good to go. Super good. So, yeah. So still looking at moving at the end of the month? Yeah, looking, moving on the 27th. I got a U-Haul truck scheduled, so moving to the new house the 27th, even though we're not closing till April 2nd now. Nice. Are you getting excited? Uh, Just nervous, because it's the thing, it's like, until the papers are all signed, yeah. ain't nothing done. It's that nebulous, like, what if something goes yeah, wrong? Yeah, considering I'm planning on moving out of the house Yeah. before we actually sign the paperwork, because it's my work schedule, and they're allowing me to move into the house before we actually own it. Uh-huh. If something goes haywire... At the end, like the last two days, like, oh, fuck. (laughs) 
Yeah. So it's just a little bit something to be worried about or concerned about. Just something in the back of your mind is like, fucking something's got to happen. Something's going to yeah. be wrong. The something's people are going to pull out. But at, at the same time, if the people are going to pull out of buying the house, I mean, this they put the offer in two, three weeks ago. Yeah. I, I would think they would have pulled out by now. Yeah. Hmm. So hopefully everything's good with the inspection and all that yep. goes well. And you, sir? I went to the medications doctor. You went to the medications doctor? Yeah. Dr. Feelgood? Yeah, sort what did of. Doc, what did Dr. Feelgood give you? Um. Well, she said, yeah, you're pretty fucked up. So <laughs> <laughs> We knew that. So, yeah. Doctor, that's, a, that's a really large clinical term. Can you break that down <laughs> for me? So she said, well, try this. And I was like, okay. And it's better. Well, good. It is better. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's, I told you before the show a little bit, I don't know if it's the best medication for me because I don't have a lot of experience with these kinds of things, but it, I get, I get these like little flashes every once in a while where I can use words like enjoy and <laughs> love that and those kinds of things. Whoa. And I'm like, fuck, dude, do people live like this all the time? And then, I mean, the best way I can describe it is like now that I'm, have those every once in a while before it's like it's like the day that you get that call that somebody you love or care about died and the whole day is just kind of like this hazy thing and you try to do other stuff but it's always kind of right there and you're sort of on the verge of a breakdown and like any little thing that goes wrong you're like fuck fuck this i'm fucking over i can't you can't handle it that day my entire life was that <laughs> and i didn't even know that it was like that oh man until like getting some medication and then you're like oh fuck what the hell was I waiting for? You know, like, wow. so hopefully this will be a, a good medication. It does give me headaches, which sucks. Cause I already, I'm prone to those anyway, but. Oh really? Like migraines or just like not, not migraines. Just like, is it like an adjustment phase to it? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But so there, so there's that. So that's, that's a good, so I don't know if it'll entirely change my personality and this show will be different from now on. <laughs> well, I just wonder what your art's going to look like for now on. Because, like, your artwork we have in here, there's a guy with his arm cut off. We got a, a half naked child kid rapey a, one. Yeah, child rape. Uh, yeah, we got, we our, got an ISIS guy. Are we going to have bunny paintings next? Happy trees? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I've always done dark art, though. <laughs> you're, um, you're well versed in the dark arts. <laughs> but I did have a couple of musings from the week. Okay. Ooh. What are they? They're quick quicker ones but i am catching up on the walking dead and i still like it are you in the current season or yeah i'm okay i didn't i didn't see yesterday's episode though oh no i'm not i'm not even that far ahead okay that far caught up but so there will be spoilers ahead if you're not to season seven Mm -hmm. uh so skip ahead like 30 seconds on your ipod or phone or whatever (laughs) if you don't want that okay um but i realized something negan is god Okay. I'm sure that I'm not the only the the first person to point this out, but season seven, episode one, he demands to be honored, feared, even worshipped, and to get it, he had Rick cut off the arm of his own son in a sacrifice for the group. But f- before the axe fell, Negan stopped Rick with the same kind of just kidding moment we get from God and Abraham in the yeah. Abraham and Isaac story, yeah. leaving Rick, Carl, Isaac, and probably Abraham deeply traumatized, all to gain complete subservience. Well, they are the saviors, right? That's their They're, that's yeah. their right. shtick, right? And he also requires a tithe. Hmm. But would anybody say that Negan did that out of love? 
when you watch the scene? No, no. right? God's totally would, different. <laughs> would they say that it was in any way necessary for Rick or for Carl? Um, and what if Negan was all powerful? Then surely he'd have every option available to him, and choosing this way makes him supremely evil. Mm. It's mm-hmm. a psychopath sadist behavior. True. So that was one, one thing I was thinking about. Yeah. And this other thing is this other person at work. And uh, <laughs> are, they, are they trying to be your friend still? No, this is a different person, oh, okay. but I have a much closer relationship to. Like I don't tell them to fuck off every time I see them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just every other time. And she knows I'm an atheist and she's not uh, part of the Mormon church anymore, but she's something. I don't know what. Wooey? Um, yes. Okay. She's very wooey. Mm. She, she, she will call in if her anxiety gets high based on the moon phases. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at my astrological chart today and it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, I, it's a no go for me. But the thing is she doesn't, work. she doesn't even look it up. She just like, she'll just be shocked that, oh, the moon was full. No wonder my anxiety was so bad. Uh, and it's like, okay. Well, the moon's always full, didn't you know? Like, yeah. like <laughs> the black part isn't isn't cut away from the moon when it's anyway. But one thing she loves to do when when she starts, she'll bring up like different something going on in her life or whatever family members or some sort of like religiousy thing. And then if I come back with an atheisty thing, she likes to say, "Yeah, I mean, I can see both sides." I fucking hate uh. that. Not only is it hugely condescending. implying that she knows better than everybody else. Mm. But if your position is both, then you should be a theist because you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. Good skepticism doesn't lead to theism and it certainly doesn't lead to theism and atheism simultaneously. Yeah. Well, and when, when people say that they can see both sides of the argument, it's like, okay, you can, you can see why somebody would perhaps believe something, but you then understand that they have limited information upon which they're basing whatever they're saying, right? And so you can say, well, I see both sides, but this guy's right. I understand why this one is saying this based on their limited knowledge of something. Yeah. So I can see both sides of the argument that these two people are having, but I know that this person is more correct than the other. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. More observations? Uh Uh-uh. I I had a bit of an observation last night we went, we, so I've been doing this lighting and switch project around the house. So I've, I've completed the switch project. Everything now is connected up to the internet and is cool when I can remember the phrases that I need to tell (laughs) Google to activate different lights and shit. I often forget. Yeah, It it asked you if you wanted to watch third rock from the sun. (laughs) (laughs) But. Uh, so I've also started doing other things like just replacing lights in the house, uh, like fixtures and shit. And in, in the dining room area of the house, I have got canned lights, right? There's canned Mm -hmm. lights in the, in the dining room and in the kitchen. And there were these two canned lights that were like eyeball lights that you could angle Mm -hmm. to shine. Uh, Apparently there was a painting on this wall where these lights were installed before that it was shining on. I'm sure it was a Jesus painting, so don't get too excited about it. Or Star Wars. (laughs) No, it wouldn't have been Star Wars. This was a very, very very LDS family who lived here before (laughs) us. Um, But so I decided that I would replace those with some LED canned light uh, like retrofit things where basically you just 
pull the can down, take out the old trim, and mm-hmm. then screw this thing into the light socket and push it back up, and you're done. It's like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute changeover thing that is awesome. So I bought a bunch of those. I replaced the two in the dining room, and then I went into the basement and thought, this will do the same thing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, apparently the can lights in the basement are, like, from the 70s. They have, like, real actual old steel rusty springs that are holding <laughs> the trim to the ceiling. And so I pulled the first one out, and then the can, like, one of the one of the arms that hold the can in place in the ceiling broke off. Like it's metal in the ceiling someplace. and it's just so old that it broke off is <laughs> old and rusty. And so now it's like, well, fuck, do I have to dismantle the ceiling now to fix all of this? So we've been experimenting with a bunch of different stuff. We went to Home Depot and we're at Home Depot for like three hours yesterday trying different stuff. Oh, I have a, I have a horrific Home Depot story for you in their bathroom, but. Uh-oh. Well, let me do that one first. So we're at Home Depot. Tracy goes to the bathroom because we'd gone out to brunch. We go to Home Depot. And she goes to the bathroom, comes out, and we've got a cart with stuff in it. So she's like, okay, do you need to go? I'm like, yeah, I'll go. So I go into the bathroom, and I'm sure that it's the same for men and women and, like, across the spectrum of whatever category you want to place yourself in. But when you walk into a bathroom, you assess the situation (laughs) of how many stalls or urinals or toilets or whatever Yep. And who's occupying what and where are you going to go from there, right? So I walk in and there are four stalls and there's a person sitting in the first stall. And I need, it, I, I need to sit. I've got some paperwork involved <laughs> with this particular transaction at the Home Depot. So there's somebody in the first stall, nobody in the second stall, nobody in the third stall. I want to be as far away from them as possible. So I was going to take the fourth stall, look at the fourth stall, and it's like, Armageddon in there has happened. <laughs> There's detritus on like encompassing the bowl and down onto the floor and it's full of dark, dank, murky water. And so obviously I took a pass on that one. <laughs> which leaves me with the other three stalls. And of course I can't sit in the stall right next to the person yeah. who's already sitting stall there. Two you, is you've got to have yeah, stall 2 is out. You have to have some separation. Yep. So I pick stall 3 which is right next to Shit the disaster area. But I'm like it's fine. Nobody's obviously nobody's going to go in there while I'm sitting down and doing some paperwork. So I sit down and I hear the door open and I hear somebody go into that stall and then I hear some goosh 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 goosh. <gasps> Like they're plunging in the toilet. And then I hear, uh-oh, uh-oh, oh, no, oh, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and then I hear like splashing sounds. And I look to my left and I see this this widening, spreading puddle with chunks of stuff making its way over into like under the wall into the stall where I'm sitting. And I'm like, Jesus, fuck. Like, and I, I had just sat down and started to clear the system. Right. So, so there's been been no paperwork involved at this point. And there's this spreading puddle of vile nastiness coming toward me. So what the fuck do you do? Like all I could do was, hike up my the the legs of my pants a little bit so that the cuffs of my pants aren't touching yeah. the ground 
And then I pull up my pants to like <laughs> mid thigh and stand up and I'm like, oh, 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 I don't know. Oh, oh. <laughs> and so then I'm, I'm like half standing, half crouching, trying to complete my paperwork <laughs> that I was cut off from doing my business <laughs> midstream. And so I, you know, I, I do what I can and I get out of the stall and we got to leave. So I, I, I open the stall door and there's some dorky, like 22 year old kids standing there who's already as bald as you are, Ryan. Well, thank you. <laughs> he's just standing. So like, he's just, he's been fucking standing there right outside my door the whole fucking time after he did his little plungy plungy. Oops. Wait, uh-oh. so he doesn't even work there? No, he does. Oh. He does. So he's, he's wearing the Home Depot but vest thing. He's just waiting for you outside the stall like a rapist. <laughs> but yeah, he's just fucking standing there. Like the water's still flowing. He took a bet on which one of those Asperg's was going to hit you first. <laughs> <laughs> the water's still flowing. It's still making its way across the rest of the bathroom floor, and he's just been fucking standing there the whole time. Like, not trying to turn the water off? No, no, just standing outside, like, a foot away from the door where I'm pooping. He's just fucking standing there. So I open the stall door, and he's like, Oh, hi, how are you? And I'm like, well... Kind of having a shitty day. (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, and I kind of, you know, like, shrug and motion put my hands the... out like motion at the floor and he's like oh yeah well that's that's kind of bad huh and i'm like yeah yeah you got a real problem here i'd kind of like a gift yeah. card to home depot it's fucking bad waldo you don't have a home <laughs> or a depot so get out of here so i feel like jesus you know <laughs> you know walking through this water over to the sink and i wash my hands and everything and they don't have any fucking towels so then i have to then i have oh, to geez. you know mud stump uh... my way over to the hand dryer and i'm doing that I leave the bathroom and I'm leaving like footprints of poo water, of poo water all throughout the fucking store. When I go to find Tracy and I'm like, we got to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I need I, to throw my shoes away. I need, I need to finish <laughs> some stuff <laughs> and maybe throw my shoes away. And then, so I'm, I'm like trying to relate this horrific story to her and I see the kid and he just comes like lackadaisically walking out of the bathroom kind of looks around and then he looks over and he grabs a sign and just kind of throws it over his shoulder. You know, one of the yellow caution signs, wet floor. You should have put a bathroom clothes Just kind of throws it over yeah. his shoulder and looks down the hallway and gives me a thumbs up and then goes back to the bathroom. And I'm like, what the what fuck the, is the thumbs was, up for? Was this a Mentos commercial? <laughs> it's certainly not Mentos freshness, I'll tell you that. But he gives me this weird fucking thumbs up and then goes to the bathroom and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to go to another Home Depot. So uh. we left that one, came home. Made a pit stop. Yeah, it was bad. What the hell? How ironic is it that the store that people go to when their toilets fuck up has a fucked up toilet? <laughs> I'm like, you work in a hardware store. And what the, f- why the fuck was he just standing yeah. creepily outside my stall? Like, Instead of getting help, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Or take the top of the tank off and pull. Well, usually they don't, well, they don't have tanks. Just piped. Yeah, yeah, it's just oh, piped yeah, with yeah. the valve. But, I mean, you know, shutting the water off. But most of those, throwing down like that little top have piece a on mop it? with you, maybe. Yeah, or at least keep plunging. Yeah, I try to get that to clear. Yeah, it was just uh oh oh yeah oh 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 oh. Well, most most of those toilets have that top piece. You'll see a little Allen key spot. You can turn that little thing on there for where the Allen key is at to fucking Allen shut the water key. off to him. Yeah, Allen key. I, don't I learned think that any, at work because he our, probably hadn't been trained in toilet one hundred and one. Well, we learned like, that he was I, probably just told. Shitter's clogged. Go and plunge it. I, I learned that at work when 
you would flush the urinals and stuff, and it would be like a fucking Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah. You know, splash. Like, what the fuck's wrong? Like, oh, you got to take an Allen key and turn the water down. Mm. Like, oh. And if you turn it far too far, it turns it off. <laughs> Allen. Yeah, yeah, so. That's Wisconsin. <laughs> so, yeah, then we left there and went elsewhere. And then we do all, we go to another Home Depot, get whatever we need to get. And it's getting late, so we stop to grab a bite to eat before we come home. Oh, and then you, had you to went shit to get again. food with shit on your feet. <laughs> no, no, I said we came home in between. Like I changed clothes from like I I I had my shirt on, but other than that, I everything was changed from the waist down. Uh, so we go back out to the store. It's running a bit late, so we decide to stop and grab some food. We're sitting in the drive-through, waiting for our order to come out, and I don't know why I did it, but I just decided to like touch the gas with my foot while we're sitting in there and the that's car. how people drive through the front of convenience stores and it like so you know the car's in park and it revs and i thought back to a recent trip that i had taken in a tesla right <laughs> yeah where you know we stop in the middle of the road and he had to like tap the gas a few different t- i don't know what he had some combination of gas brake whatever to put it into ludicrous mode to <laughs> launch us down the fucking road and then i started thinking like you can't rev the engine in a Tesla. No. Right? Like if you if you put your foot on the gas, you're gonna go. Yeah. If it's in drive or whatever. If it's in park, nothing what does happens. It, do? it doesn't do anything, right? It's just a pedal. Nothing happens. And if you're in drive and you hit the gas, well then you're gonna go unless you've got your foot on the brake and then you're doing kind of a power brake kind of thing. Will it? Have you never done like a power brake? Not in a fucking electric car though. Yeah. Yeah. Like how does that even work? I don't know. So these are just thoughts that are going through my head, like well, what if you wanted to rev your engine in a Tesla and it doesn't happen? So then if you pull up to a light and you want to race somebody, like, how do you let them know? You roll your window down and go, hey, motherfucker, but that, let's race. But so then that brought up another question. So I'm sitting there with Tracy and the, all these thoughts are running through my mind. And I'm like, so, you know, and I, and I mentioned the Tesla thing to her. And how do you, you know, communicate to somebody if you're at a stoplight that you want to race them if you're in an all-electric vehicle like in a, <clears throat> like in a regular car you pull up next to each other and you rev your engine right there's a wah, wah, and you look at each other and it's like yeah come on buddy we're gonna race when the light goes but you can't do that in an electric vehicle so do you have to roll your window down and then i'm like and roll your window down that's not that's not a thing like there's the universal hand signal right where you do this like little <laughs> now you gotta crank like push thing. the button yeah where you do this <laughs> crank thing to roll the window down yeah but that when's the last time you've been in a car most, with a, most, with a most crank kids nowadays that probably haven't been in one of them. Yeah. So, but then if you do this, where you just kind of you know you you like point your finger and you push down, you just look dyslexic. I'm like nobody's gonna know what the fuck you're doing no. to push a button on it. Tracy's like, yeah, it just kind of looks like an insult, and I'm like, yeah, like you pull up you pull up next to somebody, you do this to them, and it's like you have a <laughs> tiny little flaccid penis. <laughs> you know, they're they're not gonna know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, you, you do bring up a problem that people have thought about with electric cars already. What's that? No noise. Well, yeah. Yeah. So they were- Wait, I, is I, that, how is, is that a problem? Because if you're on a bike or if you're walking- yeah, oh, you're a pedestrian. Right, you right, don't right, hear yeah. the car coming. Like for joggers or bikers, you can't really hear the car coming. So there was actually, I saw a thing where in Europe, they were actually trying to pass a law where electric cars have to make noise. Yeah. Whether it's an artificial engine noise that goes with the speed of the vehicle- and the reason why I know about it because the guys that did the Top Gear show made fun of it and made the cars make all sorts of <laughs> fucked up noises. I want a, I want a, <laughs> I want a car that just like purrs loudly. Oh, they're making it like so play like, like 
songs or doing laser beams. I'm not a cat. Oh, that's not a purr. <laughs> that's like the kid from Stranger Things. <sighs> now we're purring. But yeah, I was like, how do you signal to somebody that you want to race if you're in, if I you know if you're in an electric car? How do you signal? Because you can't do the rolling window down like. Do people even know that that's what that means? I think so. Well, I've seen people Older do people where you sure. just take your fingers and like make like a, a turning signal with your fingers. I see people do that to roll your window down. Not yeah. like doing the crank, but just spinning I think, I think if you just stare at them and then honk your horn, and then when they look over, you just push your gla- sunglasses up the bridge <laughs> of your nose, I think they'll get it. Well, a honk three times is kind of a race thing. Well, and this was a conversation that like continued like for the whole drive home because- then it's okay. Well, you know, if you if you do this where you're like pointing, like you're gonna, you know, you push the button to to roll your window down. And I said, you know, you do this to roll your window down, but then everybody's gonna think, oh, I'm just saying you've got a tiny little flaccid penis. <laughs> and then roll your window down. Like that's the same thing. You don't roll your window down. No, you you retract it or you put it down. Like, well, I think we still have a lot of words like that where it doesn't pertain to how it's actually done anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just relics of past things yeah. that are still part of our lexicon yeah it's just kind of strange yeah like hanging up a phone yeah 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 hanging up a phone or dialing a number right yeah yeah strange yeah i see both sides <laughs> <laughs> also remember this is episode 198 Eight. jesus yeah. So there's a very limited amount of time left for you to send us in feedback on our 200th episode. Send us congratulations or what have you. That would be awesome. We would love to play it on the show or read your messages. Uh, We got a message from a listener that I just had Matt read because it was very, very nice. I'm excited to read it on the show when we do our 200th. 200th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was super. It was really sweet. It touched all my feels. And you've got at least two of those. <laughs> I'm growing new fields too, you guys. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Medicine feels. This is Dr. Dan, Matt's boss from the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast, and you are listening to the Godless Revolution. Oh, shit. Did I say revolution? I mean revolution. Bloody Americans fucking up the language. You can edit that, right, Spike? So if, if the person you're contemplating voting for believes all that believes that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri, (laughs) believes that Native Americans are the lost ten tribes of Israel, believes that Jesus visited North America. I mean, these beliefs are barking mad. Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. Okay, on the line we have the fabulous Mr. Bryce Blankenagel from the Naked Mormonism podcast. How are you tonight, Bryce? Fantastic. How are you, gentlemen, this evening? Doing really oh, well. Good. Well, I am. I don't know about these guys. I'm alive. I am much less miserable than usual. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular reason? Medicine. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Take your pills. Good man. <laughs> so for those in our listening audience who are completely unaware of you because they've been living in a ro- under a rock somewhere, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I, uh, my name is Bryce Blankenagel. I am the host of Naked Mormonism and the co-host of my Book of Mormon podcast. We're reading through the Doctrine and Covenants right now. We're uh, pretty close to hitting DNC 132 for the, uh, the non-Mormon history fans of, the, of Mormonism. That is the polygamy revelation. So we're really excited about that. 
Um, and yeah, and my show just takes uh, Naked Mormonism takes the uh, Serial Mormon History podcast. That's what that's the uh, the subtitle of it, where I just uh, try and deconstruct Mormon history in a chronological format. And it's been a bucket of fun. Been going strong three and a half years now, and it's taken this long. And I haven't even gotten to the assassination of Joseph and Hiram Smith in Carthage yet. So there's still many many years to come of the podcast. <laughs> so did you grow up LDS? I did, uh, just north of you guys. I was up in Bountiful. Oh, I've lived in Bountiful before. I've lived in basically every city up and down the Wasatch Front from, like, Brigham City to South Jordan. I haven't really lived much farther south than that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I found... I mean, you guys are, are, you know, liberal atheists living in Salt Lake City. I, I know that it's, like, not so bad there, but anywhere outside of Salt Lake City, I know it fucking sucks. I live in Oral <laughs> Atheist to live. Yeah, Matt lives in Orem. Yep. Oh, in Orem, dude. I'm so sorry. It's all good. <laughs> that That's like the closest thing to an American theocracy as you can get while still actually somehow enshrining the church and state separation. I hadn't really noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love driving around anywhere in Provo, Orem area because I have atheist license plates and... I love doing the Pride Festival there in Provo now because you drive into town and it's like everybody in town just stops and stares and Mm -hmm. turns their head as you pass by like, the interlopers have arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the, the misanthropes. That's that's you guys. The outsiders, unacceptables, the infidels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you grew up here in Utah? I did, yes. And uh, about 2012, I believe it was, I moved out to Colorado, and that was the first time I had any exposure to a, a world where you could drive more than a few blocks and not see a ward house, which is just a mind-blowing concept, right? I mean, it, it, everywhere you are in Utah, there's usually at least a chapel or a temple within eyeshot distance, but moving to Colorado, it was this whole eye-opening experience where when I was, you know, driving deliveries, uh, I would pass by a Mormon church and be like, holy fuck, I haven't seen one of those. It's like a unicorn out here. I, I mean, it's, it was an incredible culture shock. Yeah, there, there's hmm. two on my block. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, the point of the mountain too, I, that's, I, I'm fairly certain that's the only place in the world where you can see four temple spires on a clear day. So Mormon Mecca, Probably, baby. Yeah. <laughs> So you grew up, you grew up here in Utah, were LDS, you went, did your fa- whole family move to Colorado? No, it was just me. I was, um, I wanted to live anywhere other than Utah and I had some family out in Colorado that I could, you know, stay with until I could actually get a place and, and kind of, you know, put down roots and whatnot. So I just made the venture to Colorado on the uh, Eastern slope of the Rockies out in Weld County out there, which is a whole separate theocracy out there. It's just a more <laughs> dispersed versions of Christianity. <laughs> However, uh, after that, I um, ended up moving up to Seattle. So now I live in this, you know, bright blue spot amongst a fairly red state, and it's beautiful. I love it up here. That's awesome. <laughs> so w- at what point did you uh, stop believing in the church? How old were you? I, uh, so uh, this is going to damage my Mormon street cred a fair amount here, but I, uh, I never went on a mission. I didn't go through the temple ceremonies or anything. I left when I was about 16 or 17, but that was just out of apathy. I didn't like going to church anymore. So I just told my parents, Hey, I'm done with this. And they said, we respect your decision, which is real. I mean, kudos to them. That's probably the best thing that a Mormon parents can do 
for a Mormon child who doesn't want to go to church anymore is just say, okay, that's your decision. So I didn't have to have a lot of fights that I know a number of my friends have had to have when they came out of the church or are struggling to deal with how to come out of the church still in the future. And, you know, I it was just apathetic. I didn't care about church. I, I kind of thought that, you know, religion and belief in God are, you know, just concepts that are created for people who are, can't deal with death. And, you know, I didn't ever really examine it deeply. I enjoyed watching George Carlin skits. They're, they're my favorite, you know, he's my favorite comedian for a while. And then come my move to Colorado in 2012, I started studying Mormon history. I got interested in it because I had a conversation with a Christian friend of mine who made the bold assertion that Mormonism isn't Christian. And he had, he'd been a student of the uh, Sandra and Gerald Tanner. He's read a number of their books. And he, you know, it went on this tirade of disproving Mormonism on a Christian basis, saying that, well, there's all of these things that standard Christianity doesn't hold to that are in conflict with the Bible. And he was just talking on a completely different level. He actually knew some Mormon history and I knew nothing. So he gave me a couple of resources and said, you consume these and then come back and we'll have a real conversation about Mormonism. And that's when, uh, at a time when I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I said, there's got to be a Mormon history podcast out there. Like there, there has to be, you know, somebody who's taken apart, you know, from point A, the birth of Joseph Smith on and just chronologically deconstructed Mormon history. So I looked and looked and could not find that podcast anywhere. So I said, fuck it, I'm going to make that podcast instead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, three and a half years later, here I am. That's that's what I do now. I research and study Mormon history and I write essays and then I read them into a microphone and broadcast them once a week. That's that's crazy to me. Like, I don't know. I once I left the church, I the the only concern that I have about you know interacting with the LDS church or faith or anybody really is when they do something that that harms people I care about or that I'm related to or that I know or me personally. Right? I don't like. I don't know. I, there, it seems like there's a lot of people who are so invested in after they leave the church. Uh, just still studying they can't and, leave it and alone. maintaining ties and, you know, yeah. and, and, and everything they do is still wrapped up in Mormon culture. And I've, I don't know, I've, I've kind of tried to leave all that behind, but I love listening to your show because it gives me all these cool, interesting little tidbits about Mormon history that I didn't know that are just so out there. There's this often heard a trope that's thrown around. You can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. Right. And, you know, th there's a place for all levels of atheism that came out of Mormonism. There, There's a space for somebody like yours truly who can't leave the church alone and I can't get enough of it now, who attends these Mormon history conferences and writes and publishes and consumes as much history and, and Mormon culture as I possibly can. And there's plenty of room for you guys as well who are just like, yeah, fuck the church uh, when they do something <laughs> that is infringing on my rights or they're trying to push a law through the state legislature, then really fuck them, right? So, but I, I am at a steady conflict of why I can't leave it alone. And the way that I've been able to reconcile that is from my birth, the church was everything in my house. It was my culture. It was everything that I did. It was all of my social interactions. It was all of my family reunions. It was every single piece of my life was somehow intertwined with Mormonism. And just because I left the church and I no longer believe in it doesn't make that any less the case. 
And uh, which is why I found the term secular Mormon to be more useful than the term ex-Mormon, because ex-convicts or ex-marriage, ex-whatever, that means you left something behind. But I'm still wholly in the Mormon culture. I'm still a product of Mormon culture. I just don't believe in it. It's like a secular Jew. I'm a secular Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I mean, and I and I completely identify with what you were saying about, you know, anytime you were around your friends or family members, it was the church this, church that. And anytime I go to any gathering with my family members, it's, oh, well, so-and-so is now serving this calling. And, you know, last week at church, we talked about this and at Young Women's, we're doing this. And I need to prepare a talk for this upcoming Sunday. All right. It's everything to to so many people. Yeah. And I just, I I don't know. it it There's something about it that I try to just divorce myself from all of that. Like it because, and maybe it's because that's all they can seem to talk about is church. Mm-hmm. That they, you know, that we're related even, and they can't talk about any activities that they're doing outside of what they're doing in church. It's, it's like everybody trying to one up each other. Well, no, I'm more devout than you are because I'm doing this calling and I've made this, you know, I've made this casserole for the grieving widow in our ward and that we're taking over there. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's just brinksmanship and, and trying to one up each other all the time. And I'm like, you guys just shut up about the church. Like, what did you do yesterday? What, what are your plans for this week aside from church? Do you have anything outside of church going on? I think I just. And for so many people, they don't, right? Like, it's, it's not only their hobby, it's their livelihood. It's everything they do. They don't read books that aren't church approved or come from a church leader or an apostle or, you know, it's everything to so many people. And like, I get it. The, the, Ex-Mormon movement is made up of a majority of people who are like, fuck this, I'm out, and they never pay any mind to the church anymore. And I think that's probably healthy. It, when when you are indoctrinated into a, a system of thought and belief, and you're able to completely wash your hands of it and try and extract your your cognitive processes from being pigeonholed into viewing the world through that indoctrinated lens, Good. That's a good and healthy way to try and deal with the world because the world is a lot bigger than Mormonism. It's just a shame to see people that still, or the people that are still so deeply entrenched in it that their entire world is Mormonism. They can't even see, you know, they're viewing the entire world through blinders. It's like they walk into a dark room and they're shining a laser pointer at things, trying to see things through the filter of that laser pointer. And I I feel like I've been able to walk in the room and flick the light on and see what's really all out in front of me. Yeah, absolutely. When you, when you talked about viewing everything through a lens and, you know, just kind of trying to set that aside, what I like about your show is that you've taken that lens and you've turned it into a magnifying glass and you're examining all of the important details and minutia of the church's history in how it came to be what it is today. And I find that stuff fascinating. So I, so while I don't like talking about religion and church with my family members because that's all they seem to be able to talk about. I love listening to your show to get all of those juicy bits of history and to even just figure out like, how in the hell did this thing come to be? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the fun thing about Mormon history is the deeper you dive into it. And well, don't get me wrong. There, there are the avenues, the Mormon history association and these various avenues that allow for a, a, or almost require a believer's lens to be shed on Mormon history. But the more that I study Mormon history, 
the more I see the majority of articles out there are written by historians that examine history, uh, examine Mormon history without including the Mormon rose-colored lenses, which is really helpful because they, they don't turn a spin on it. But like I said, there's also the Mormon History Association, which is run essentially by an arm of the church. It's I, I think they're affiliated, but not exactly uh, explicitly uh, tied. However, it's nice to see Mormonism treated the way that other religious movements have been treated by historians, because it's nothing special to the most historians. When you start to study American history, you know, and, and especially the religious aspect of Protestant American history, particularly through the uh, 17th and 18th centuries, you begin to view it all in a similar lens of they're, they're all obviously believing what they are doing. They believe they they have this sincerely belief that their religion is the one true religion, but so does every other religion out there. And it, it you know, studying history has a way of kind of demystifying the the holy and divine veneer that surrounds so many religions out there, which is why I love studying Mormon history so much, because I always had this one-sided view of it. And when you start to study it through a purely sanitized historical lens, and when I say sanitized, I mean sanitized from the Mormon history, or like the, the believing Mormon version of it, you begin to view it like every other history. It's just people doing their thing. Yeah, yeah, being able to look at it without all of the spin that you get from church leaders and 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 only being able to view approved sources for information about the church, which even when I was LDS always seemed really strange to me, like especially in light of a lot of the things that different Mormon uh church leaders have said throughout the years, you know, that if uh something is untrue then it then it should be exposed uh if if we're teaching the wrong things then people should know that if it is the truth people should know that but throughout their history they've done a lot to try to cover up those nastier bits of their history yeah the the historical revisionism and this is revisionism with a capital r so people who are revising history and they are ignoring certain aspects of it in order to uh tell a specific narrative it's replete throughout Mormonism, and unfortunately, so much of what survives from Mormon history has been written by the church itself or by believing apostles or by believing historians. So it takes a lot of historical effort and research to decouple the belief aspect away from Mormon history as it was originally recorded, as as the people who experienced it initially recounted it in their journals and whatnot. But you know, seeing their perspective, it still offers its own useful resource. You know, trying to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who came across the planes in the Martin Willie Hancock Company. That is tough to do. And when you see the world through their lens, when you read like John uh, Amundsen's Secret History of Mormonism, and you see what it was like to cross the planes from his believing perspective, and he wrote this after he had left the church, it's, it's, it, it's very helpful to be able to see what a believer was thinking about what was happening and the way that they were able to compartmentalize the tragedies that they were experiencing away from the actions of church leaders who were causing that suffering. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to me because prior to leaving to the church, um, you know, everything that I'd read about the church was all through approved sources. After leaving the church, 
all of this new information was open to me. All of these, all of these wells of, of information and church history that I, you know, was never allowed to ask about, or if I did, was told that I should pray or go talk to the bishop, talk to my parents. All of that new information is available to me. And then trying to sift through that to find out what was true and what wasn't. How do you, how do you determine what is accurate when it, when it conflicts with things that the church has said are, are approved, I don't know, historical in, bits of information about itself? Yeah, that's really tough. Uh, I mean, this gets to the foundations of what it is to conduct uh, sound historical research. And, and the thing is, is studying history isn't exactly a science. It's much more like an art form. However, there are methods to apply which create and construct these models by which we can view history through. And the construction of those models requires some level of scientific expertise when it comes to studying history, but it's much more amorphous. It's not this chemical reacts with this chemical and that happens every single time. It's not this, uh, this unit sliding down an inclined plane with this level of static friction and this much potential energy will net this amount of, of work. It's, it's not simple that way. It does, it doesn't have these clear cut lines. Unfortunately, it's much harder to understand the broader context of Mormon history without having read so much of Mormon history from multiple different views. And that's why it's useful to read the Mormon History, uh, history Association journals and see what they are talking about, and then just ignore the last two paragraphs, because the, most, the majority of those articles, the last two paragraphs are the person who wrote the article bearing their testimony that the church is true. You can <laughs> ignore those and read the actual historical information that they're claiming, and then cross-check their sources and see how that information is differently interpreted or uh, viewed through an alternative lens when you read it from a, a non-Mormon historian or a historian who has left the church and who continues to publish on the history of the church. So it's it's a matter of going to the Mormon History Association to get the believer's perspective, and then going to the John Whitmer Historical Association uh, conferences that's run by the Community of Christ, uh, and then going to Sunstone, which initially you know cropped up in the late 80s in opposition to, or sorry, late 70s, in opposition to how the church was whitewashing its history. All of these different conferences offer slightly different perspectives of much of the same material, and it requires an appreciation of the way that all of these different groups and all these journals and all of the people who publish in these journals deal with information to try and get as close as we possibly can to a, a tenable historical model that historians, the broad, uh, the broad, broader world of Mormon historians can actually agree on. And unfortunately, there's not really an easy way to answer that, right? Like, how do you decide what's real history and fake history? It's it's just as hard as deciding what is real news and fake news. And real news and fake news is not something that is a new concept that came about just because of Donald Trump. That's something that has always existed. They just happened to call it yellow reporting in the 1900s. So, I mean, you have to deal with uh, documentable evidence hopefully from a, a, a like court proceedings and uh, from uh, like judge docket books and from doctor's office notes and from uh, the, all of the available documentation that are 
names and dates that we can uh, we can take as truth as historical fact and then using first person accounts and journal entries and affidavits and uh newspaper articles and using all of those to put those historical facts into context and then constructing the broader historical model based on all of that cobbled together information so it's not so cut and dried it's extremely complicated but it's a rewarding endeavor when you go to one of these Mormon history conferences and you understand Mormon history to a certain extent and you can chat on on a much deeper level with somebody about Mormon history than you can a, a chapel attending Mormon or at an ex-Mormon meetup, it's a very rewarding and exciting experience because the people there ha- have made their lives work about Mormonism and Mormon history, and that's all they ever want to talk about. And that's why I find so much excitement and that sense of community at these Mormon history conferences that I left behind when I stopped attending church. Hi, this is David Silverman, president of American Atheists. Join us at www.atheists.org, and you are listening to The Godless Revolution. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but there is a state where the marriage laws are a little looser. Utah. Utah? Home of America's most powerful weirdos? Our lives could be so wonderful there. In Provo, Utah? Why would I go to Utah? I love booze, caffeine, and monogamy. Then that must be it. So how many brides will you be marrying today, Mr. Simpson? Just one. What, are you gay? You and the godless revolution will be reassimilated in three, two, one. When you were talking about how do we determine what is real news and fake news. I was just going to say, well, I, I thought Donald Trump was the arbiter of all of that. He's he's the <laughs> determiner. Yeah, he is the gatekeeper. He's like Joseph Smith who has to stamp our passports to get into heaven. That is Donald Trump with every news outlet. <laughs> well, when, when you go to these conferences and you're talking to other people, is there any contention usually? Because you're obviously not Mormon anymore. And I'm betting there's still quite a few people there that are true believing Mormons that are going there to listen to history and stuff. Do you, they take issue issue with you not being Mormon at those at all? Yeah, not. I haven't really had much of a problem with it, honestly, because the the people at the I mean the the conferences I've attended. Now, granted, I haven't attended the Mormon History Association conference because it's too expensive, um, and I I haven't found the opportunity to do so. But the other conferences I have attended, the historians and scholars there are way beyond the question of whether or not the church is true. That's something they've wrestled with in their personal lives, and they've come to their conclusions. They are talking about Mormon history most often completely separated from belief in Mormonism, on whether or not the, the claims of it are truthful. Now, that, that, now it, I have to qualify that, because when you get into discussions about the historicity of the Book of Mormon, that is a contentious issue. And obviously, that's something that kind of falls down on either side of the believing line. But the majority of Mormon history instead of Mormon theology, people don't really argue about it so much as they might argue about dates or they might argue about the proper interpretation or they might argue about somebody's motivation for doing something specific in Mormon history. Because Mormon history is you can view it without understanding Mormon theology. Now, granted, the theology puts a lot of it into context, but Mormon history itself is studying what the people themselves did and trying to understand why they did it and how they did it. 
Instead of saying, well, the Mormon's theology was this, therefore this, or therefore that. Um, it, it, it's, it's not quite as important to Mormon history. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, and I think that's a point yeah. well taken. Um, because you can, I imagine that at these conferences, the, the historical nature of the church and, and in talking about any of the events surrounding the church's creation and growth are all sterilized. This is what happened on this date. This person did this. It's not, it doesn't really tie into their theological beliefs or their, uh, you know, their, their religious teachings per se. It's, it's strictly looking at on this date, this happened on this date, this happened, that kind of stuff. All, you know, completely sterilized and divorced from any theological belief. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it, it runs the gamut depending on who you're reading or what the, the tone of the conference is, or, you know, if it was a, a history uh, or a historiography that was compiled or, you know, written by a Mormon theologian or apostle or historian. I mean, you have to take every, every historical piece of literature with a grain of salt. But when you see an issue of the topic of, let's say, polygamy, that 99% of Mormon scholars and historians on all sides of the belief spectrum will agree on, you can sure take it as that's the best model that historians have to explain the plethora of evidence. I mean, when it comes to Joseph Smith's uh, 33 wives or 36 wives, there have been some historians who have claimed that he had has as high as 50 wives. I think Fawn Brody in No Man Knows My History claimed as high as 48 wives. Um, there are other historians who will put it at, you know, 20 wives, you know, a few less. There is a very tiny subsect of Mormon historians who believe that Joseph Smith never practiced polygamy and indeed that he fought the practice of polygamy that other members of the Mormon elite were, were you know, practicing at the time, the spiritual wifery. <laughs> the majority of historians think it's hogwash because the uh, the mounting evidence or the available evidence that Joseph was practicing polygamy himself is astonishing. You have to be ignoring so much in order to espouse that belief. But there are those groups of people that believe it. You just have to kind of uh, judge what the consensus of Mormon scholars and historians say about any given subject. And yeah, uh, consensus is how scientific models are built and verified. And, you know, that's that's kind of where the scientific method plays into constructing historical models. Well, the LDS Church itself is, has acknowledged the fact that Joseph Smith had multiple wives, right? That's That was yeah, part exactly. of one of the essays that they released. Yeah, uh, a plural marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. Yeah, I mean, they, they even espouse, hey, Joseph Smith had this thing with Fanny Alger, possibly as early as 1832. Uh, which, you know, that was his, basically his first public affair or affair that went public, I should say. Um, they, they espouse and understand the plethora of evidence of his wives. They are using their own documentation from their own historians to compile that information. Yeah. You know, the church talks about Joseph's polygamy, you know, Mormon historians, anti-Mormon historians and historians who are completely disconnected from Mormonism and never had any personal affiliation with it all agree. Joseph had somewhere in the ballpark of 30 to 40 wives. Sure, I can agree with that. That sounds really good to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, talking about the the essays, I know that when the church first decided to release the essays, to first to compile and write the essays, and then to release them, that they that there would seem to be this impression among the church's leaders. And I know, you know, I've heard stories that some wanted it to happen, others didn't. But overall, there was this sense of okay. 
a lot of this history is out there and available for people. We need to get ahead of this and be able to put our own stamp of approval on what we want to say about these more touchy subjects right. of the church's history and, and teachings. Do you think that was a wise endeavor? Bad? I mean, Abso-fucking-lutely, yes. Yeah. The, the evidence is so broad and apparent. And, you know, okay, so I've seen, I, have any of you guys seen the, the Book of Mormon musical? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I've seen it a couple times. I still want to go see it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. It's so amazing. And if you thumb through the pamphlet, the church has taken out full-page ads that say, think the play is good, the book is way better. Yeah, you know, I, I have seen those. <laughs> yeah, because the church has an incredible ability to take things that conflict with their history or their public image and say, oh, well, yeah, okay, so that's what people are saying about it, but this is the right way to interpret it, instead of vilifying that. You know, they the church could have said, if you go to the Book of Mormon musical, you are excommunicated, it is anti-Mormon, and, you know, the People would have reacted with backlash. You know, what happens when you put a kid in a room with a button, say, don't push that button? It's only a matter of time. So people are going to react with rebellion when they're, you know, when they're told to do something or to not do something. There's a certain subsect of the population that's going to say, fuck you, I'm going to do it because you told me not to do it. And, you know, that would look really bad for them. So the church has this ability to, or the, the sorry, the PR arm of the church is extremely sophisticated. And they have the ability to take something that's going on and wrap it up into some kind of version or narrative that says, oh, this is, actually isn't really much of a problem. Now, the, the, the essays that the church has put up, if you look at the, the terminology of the essays, they're extremely similar to what you might find fair Mormon saying about these essays. And that's possibly one of the issues with this is these essays are about problematic issues within the church, and it's very challenging to reconcile those with belief in the truth claims of the church. You claim to be the one true church, and the Book of Mormon is a histor uh, you know, a historical account of the Native Americans. That's just a factual claim that is straight up false. <laughs> so it's really hard to spin that to something that's like, oh, well, we don't have enough information. You know, archaeologists and scientists disagree about where the Native Americans came from, and it was just a small subpopulation of the certain natives in this small geography. The, the, it, you run against truth. And the problem is, is the church has this way of navigating around truth without ever actually addressing the central issue of truth. And it's frustrating to a certain extent, but if you are able to see through it and see that these essays deal with some significant issues with the truth claims of the church, and you're not satisfied with those essays, fuck, man, that's the best the church has got. If you're not satisfied, then fucking leave. Go join the Methodists. Go be an atheist. Go do something other than the Mormon church because it's not going to be good enough for you. If you have a problem with the translation of the Book of Abraham, d d don't believe in it, right? If you don't think that the Book of Mormon was a historical account, don't believe in it. Sure, don't give them your tithing. Go to church to see your friends and see your neighbors and, you know, be a part of the community. Sure, do that, but don't believe in it. I mean, you have a choice to not believe in something that's patently false. But unfortunately, that is something that is one step too far for so many believing Mormons, because if you choose not to believe in the church, you are an apostate, right? You're destined for outer darkness. So 
uh, and you're you're somehow turning your back on your belief system and your culture, and that's a lot for a lot of people to deal with. So what are we supposed to do with things like the 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 definite fact that the golden plates absolutely existed? laugh laugh at it sit back and laugh we got a ticket to the show sit back and enjoy people trying to pretzel their brains into ways of reconciling how the fuck joseph had a set of golden plates does that ever come up at any of the conferences with those historians i mean do they because that's a kind of a testimony issue right but historically they 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 would have to say there's no fucking way (laughs) that's actually one topic that you see you can see a person's perspective from the of of what they're writing about the subject they're writing about if they ever talk about the plates because you will see a um, a believing mormon historian will say joseph got the gold plates from the angel at this in september of 1827 whereas a non-believing mormon historian will say joseph smith had a set of plates by september of 1827 there's some subtle differences, but Joseph had the ability to make a set of plates. He had four years where he was claiming to have this set of plates, and nobody ever saw them in that four-year time. Well, actually, in uh, in uh, an entire seven-year time period before people actually were shown the plates by his, uh, well, in, in Joseph's circumstance here, where, where he took the people out into the woods, the, the 11 witnesses. So when you see those subtle differences in terminology, you can tell where the, uh, the, the publication you're reading came from or the belief spectrum of the person who wrote it because, yeah, they kind of betray their, their belief system there. Hmm. Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't some of the 11 witnesses, didn't they later recant their stories about seeing the plate? None of the witnesses ever recanted their statement. They qualified it. They described what they meant when they signed the statement, but none of them actually recanted the statement. Huh. Yeah. I- so, like, Martin Harris is a great example of this. So, Martin Harris is one of the most um, interviewed people who was a, uh, a witness of the plates. David Whitmer is the only exception who was interviewed more than Martin Harris. But a... Uh, a, a newspaper reporter approached Martin Harris and interviewed him and said, how did you see the plates? And Martin Harris said, through my spiritual eye. And he said, you know, tell me more about this. And I'm paraphrasing here. And uh, Martin Harris said, I didn't see them the way I see that pencil case on the table. I see them the way I see a city through a mountain. The fuck does that mean, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've yet to see a city through a mountain. <laughs> now you're not taking the same stuff that Joseph was giving to his followers. <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> but I, so, I mean, there are a number of statements of people that qualified what they said, but there are so many existing interviews and statements of people giving exact measurements of the plates that you would be against the broad consensus of Mormon historians if you said that Joseph never had a set of plates. Because so many people said they hefted them. They felt they were, you know, anywhere from 40 to 70 pounds. They gave the exact measurements of it, viewing them through a cloth and and touching them and feeling the metal plates. Joseph had a set of plates. What they were, I mean, I don't think any of us really know, but Joseph had some set of metal plates bound with three rings. And he also had a cooper's shop on his Palmyra farm or on the Smith farm where he had the tools and the, the, you know, he may have had access to the raw materials to make a set of plates. And, you know, seven years, six years is a long time to, you know, construct a set of plates like that. 
Probably out of copper, I'm guessing. It, possibly. Uh, given the uh, copper is a little bit too heavy, given the description of it, uh, I think the majority of historians would say probably tin. Well, I was going to say, because gold is really heavy. Yeah, fucking heavy. Like, if given the measurements that the number of people who left behind, if the plates are made of gold, they'd be over 200 pounds. Yeah. And Joseph is fucking barreling through the forest and yeah, knocking dudes out with these things under his arm. Like, fuck off. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to be running through the forest with these tucked under his arm fighting off bad guys. I'm like, with one-armed while carrying, you know, a shit ton of weight under one arm and fighting off bad guys. And not just running, if I remember correctly, running at the top of his speed. Yeah, yeah, for miles. For miles. Miles on end. And, you know, people can say, oh, well, you know, 230 pounds for that much gold. Well, you know, Joseph was inspired. You know, God gave him the power to do it. But it's like, but uh, like all the other people that lifted the place, they said they were like 40 to 70 pounds. So did God inspire all of them to be able to lift it? Like the whole thing falls apart when you look at it that way. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is like, you know, he he's he's so big and tough and strong that he can carry 200 pounds under one arm and run sprint for two miles. But then he pulls an up all nighter with Moroni and he fucking passes out in the yard the next day. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, <laughs> dude, are you tough or not? Like, <laughs> in, a, in a simple little bullet takes him out. Yeah, just a little bullet. Yeah. Yeah. And like he was strong enough to like, you know, leg wrestle anybody in town. But then he's also got to limp his whole life because right. of that surgery as a kid. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. The heroics of Joseph Smith, they, they don't really sit well with me. It all sounds like bullshit. It sounds like a legend, right? Yeah. It sounds yeah. like a Tom Cruise Joseph Smith. <laughs> and Yeah, right. Except in real life, he was more like a Trump type guy, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to dive into some of the similarities there. But uh, instead of doing that, I actually want to ask you guys. Uh, you all seem to have this like, uh, fuck the church, I'm done with it kind of aspect. <laughs> Out of, uh, well, I was and, I was never a part of the LDS Corporation. I grew up as an atheist. Oh, you lucky son of a bitch. I didn't know what LDS was when I got here to Utah. I came here with the military. I got sent here in the military. I had heard of Mormonism. Then when I got here to Utah, and people said, well, I'm LDS. I'm like, well, what the fuck is LDS? <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah, they don't they don't like to be called Mormonites for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so people living in Utah, uh I mean it sounds like at least a couple of you have a passing uh, knowledge with Mormon history. Out of everything that you've learned out of Mormon history and you know, I the, the reason I'm taking this conversation that way is because it's it's all I ever talk about. It's all I can get my mind around. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm very simple minded, one track mind. You know, I see a shiny object. I can go straight for it. So what, what in your, you know, post Mormon, ex Mormon view seems like some of the more fun or exciting or stupid aspects of Mormon history? Oh man, for me, it was something that I hadn't really ever thought about until Dawkins voiced, uh, a question about it. And it was what kind of stupid person, you know, if you're translating something, you translate it into the language that you're using, right? That's mm. your job as a translator, is you're translating it into the language that people of your time understand. And so if Joseph Smith translated this stuff, why did he translate it into, what was it, 11th or 12th century English versus <laughs> the language that was actually spoken at the time? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I'd never thought about that. But, yeah, that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> 
that, that was wow. that was the big one for me. When it was just something that I had never even crossed my mind. Like I knew Joseph Smith had engaged in polygamy. I knew, you know, a, a whole bunch of other issues and problems with the church. But that one thing, I was like, yeah, that's really fucking dumb. Like, who does that? Who's who's <laughs> translating? Like, if if you're a translator working at the UN, are you going to be using you know ye olde English when talking to people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like using Munster German. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And where the fuck did adieu come from? Really? Fucking French in this too? Oh, Why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I think I have a couple, but like the whole, the whole weirdness around some of the, what seem to be very pagan type elements with the seer stone and the Jupiter talisman and the bloodstone and all that stuff. Yeah, I'd be careful with pagan. I would say occult. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, whatever. All, all, all those, all those fuckers. Yeah, that, that's the total Mormon history nerd in me. Just like, no, no, no. I'm a pedant. Damn it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and then just totally, completely fucking up all the flora and fauna. <laughs> just completely like, like almost everything, every animal and plant he mentions is just fucking wrong. Totally wrong. <laughs> Everything, yeah, and like the- wheat and barley. No, no, dude, it was it was like maize and squash, or you know, <laughs> yeah. horses and elephants. No, it's like fucking goats and tapers, and tapers, <laughs> <laughs> taperback rider. Yeah, <laughs> nice. That sounds like a rock band. A shout out to Weird Alma. If you guys haven't heard that, you got it. Oh, wait, what? Fucking great. <laughs> well, that to- sounds awesome. Have you heard Weird Alma, the the Mormon parodies? No. Oh my god! Watching some oh. YouTube after this. Yeah, when we hang up, if SoundCloud that shit, it will blow your mind. <laughs> Dude, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Some deep Mormon jokes, though. So uh, the the our, our atheist friend here may struggle to be like, what the fu- why is this funny? He doesn't what's get the, most of our jokes. What's the, what's the strengthening church members committee? And you guys don't get my jokes. <laughs> so we're even. <laughs> so you asked you ask us what what we thought. What What about you? Uh, <laughs> my favorite part about Mormon history is everything you look at always has another layer to it. Man, like you you realize that Mormon history is such a small pond, but you can explore it for years and never see the bottom. You can never find every nook and cranny. So like here's a great example. That seer stone that Joseph Smith used to translate the Book of Mormon, you know, that that chocolate colored seer stone that you've seen pictures of on the the LDS essay, right? Mm-hmm. That stone wasn't just a seer stone. The backstory behind this specific seer stone. Now, I'm telling you guys a story about a fucking rock here, okay? <laughs> that seer stone came from Willard Chase, or the Chase family farm, and the Chases were uh, neighbors of the Smiths in the Palmyra and Manchester area. Now, the way that Joseph Smith acquired this seer stone is because Sally Chase, the the sister of Willard and, and uh, I forget the other Chase's name, uh, the sister of Willard Chase, she was a scryer just like Joseph Smith was, and she had a bright emerald green stone. Joseph Smith said, hey, can I borrow that stone because I think I'm a better seer than you are because I have the the penis hood. So he borrowed her seer stone. He put it in his white stovepipe hat and he looked into that that hat and he saw with her seer stone that there was a better seer stone buried under the ground. 
and that if only he could acquire that seer stone and somehow break the spell of the guardian spirit over that seer stone, he could see anything that his heart desired. He could see God's will if he just got that seer stone. So, wait, the chases in the Smith. Was there a wait there? Yeah, is this a, a LARPing game or? <laughs> seer stones all the way down. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, mm. I, I don't even know where to go with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like the old folky. You can just picture like Joseph Smith in his old timey garb and his dad is all like hot up on, on rum and, and some kind of powerful substances. And he, his dad's trying to enchant shotguns so that they, they won't hit the turkeys. And uh, I mean, it's a whole different world. They're sticking witch hazel sticks in the ground in order to break the spell of the guardian spirits over the buried treasure, right? Like, we can't put our minds there. It's fucking nutballs. It sounds like an so, absolute lunatic. <laughs> that is Joseph Smith's dad for you. Yes. Uh, that's that's his loving home life. So this seer stone, Joseph saw it in Sally Chase's seer stone buried on the Chase farm and said, I got to have that. So the Chases and the Smiths began digging. And it's recounted that they were digging a well for the chases, but they, I mean, let's be clear, they were, they were digging for buried treasure. If they happened to strike water, great, that's awesome. They were digging down. They got about 30 feet down in this hole, possibly. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not as far, maybe deeper than that. And Willard Chase found this rock and he pulled it out and he said, you know, this, this rock was a curiosity. I'd never seen anything like it. And Joseph says, I need that stone. I need that stone because it's the most powerful stone I've ever seen. That's the same stone that I saw when I was looking in your sister's seer stone in the ro- er, in my hat just now. I need that stone. So Joseph ended up stealing that stone from Willard Chase. And when Willard Chase came and confronted the Smiths about it later, saying, give me that stone back because it's a special magic stone, they said, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We acquired that by legitimate right. We found it, therefore it is ours. And thus, the Book of Mormon was translated from that very same seer stone. So, like, every single aspect of Mormon history that you look at this way, everything that is in the South Park episode, everything that's in the Book of Mormon musical, it has so many more layers that once you dive into Mormon history, you're like, how the fuck did I believe in this? How is this even possible? Are these real human beings? Am I just leading, like reading the legendary accounts of like the gods fighting the Titans? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Seems like every Joseph Smith story goes back to some sort of petty crime at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing a little rock. Yeah. I'm also surprised they found a rock while Stealing. digging in the ground. <laughs> a, a rock. I know. Right. How the fuck did it get there? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't run into uh, some of the shields and swords and stuff from the battle at the end of, uh, was it Ether? <laughs> right? That's the right area, isn't it? It's the same area, yeah. I mean, there should be two million dead Native American bodies on that hill, Kimora. Yeah. Mm, you know, fully armored, you know, chariots, all the whole gambit, but nope. It should be Still lousy with one. steel swords and shields and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there should there should be a whole section of that state that you can't like build houses because you just hit metal <laughs> when you try to dig you know <laughs> there's not ground i'm sorry hang on guys one second oh the bark and eagle got free <laughs> bark and eagle nice that's i haven't heard that one yet that was beautiful <laughs> hang on one second 
This is Natalie Newell of Science Moms and the Parenthetical Science Podcast. You are listening to The Godless Revolution. Hello, ma'am. My goodness, you have such an attractive little garden here. Oh, thank you, young man. I just planted those flowers last week. My, how they grow. Yes, ma'am. We're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, the Mormons. That's right. I'm, I'm Elder Young, and this is Elder White. Well, you two boys can just buck right off. Ma'am? You heard me. Take that Book of Mormon and shove it so far up your righteous asses that you choke. Soul soliciting pickfuckers. Gosh. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. All right, I'm sorry about that. My my partner just left and, and the dogs go crazy every time. So uh, good. Yeah, no worries. But it's fun to see these stories of Mormon history, um, you know, whether it's uh, unearthing <laughs> metal, you know, it's not the water table anymore. It's it's the armor table. Yeah, right. Uh, whether whether it's this this rock or whether it's um, something else in Mormon history, all of these stories give us a little tiny window into the person who created this religion. And, you know, there's another fun treasure digging story. And this one is one that Joseph actually went to court for in 1826. He was out digging with the uh, the Stowells, with Josiah Stowell, and he had somehow convinced Josiah Stowell that there was a guardian spirit over this treasure, and that he saw buried with this treasure, there was a feather. And when they got out there late at night, they were digging away, digging away at the ground, and Joseph said, oh, the, the spirit guardians, they have stolen the treasure, they've moved it, they've slid it underneath the earth. Sorry, Josiah, we can't get it. Sorry, boss man. And instead, they did find the feather. So they were digging, and Joseph probably had a feather in his hand, slipped it under a rock. Oh, hey, we found the feather, so obviously there was a treasure here and the guardian spirit, but, you know, the the, the ground gnomes, they fucking stole it, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a good con man, that guy. Fuck yeah, he was. You wonder how he would stand up today. Like, I mean, really, yeah. you wonder if he would be, like, you know, be a Ponzi scheme or something today. It's crazy. He'd be president. <laughs> <laughs> right. He tried to be. You guys know that yeah. Joseph Smith ran for president? I oh, actually yeah, yeah. did not know that. Fuck yeah. He ran and Sidney Rigdon with his vice president in 1844. In fact, he may very well have been the first presidential candidate who was assassinated during his campaign. Wow. Oh, he was yep. assassinated. So when he was killed in Carthage, it was... During his campaign? Yeah, exactly. He uh, he was running for the 1844 election and, you know, July, uh, sorry, June 27th, 1844, um, well, he he ran into troubles. He got he caught one of those little bullets. Oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Man, could you imagine how that would have changed the course of this country? No If he had shit. been elected president? I mean, he was, he Tapers was for everybody <laughs> <laughs> taper in every pot. <laughs> That's one thing that has been lost in so much of the telling of Mormon history is the deep seated desire that Joseph Smith had to rise up with an army of Native Americans and take over the United States government. That's like, that's still a Republican wet dream. 
<laughs> Isn't it just? I mean, he had built a couple of theocracies. He wanted, you know, after they were kicked out of Nauvoo or, you know, he had plans before he died in near Nauvoo that they were going to go out to Oregon or to Texas or to Mexico territory or somewhere. And they were going to build a Mormon theocracy and then galvanize all of the Native American tribes together and roll, you know, they would be a great stone rolling forth through the whole earth and they would conquer the entire fucking globe and convert it to a Mormon theocracy. and thus. Usher in the new reign of Jesus. Zion, baby. That's the restorationism for you. <laughs> well then what's he gonna do with all the with all the inhabitants of the sun and stuff? <laughs> they're already Mormons. I mean they dress as Quakers. Yeah, they're they're already converted. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So that was a little inside baseball <laughs> for for <laughs> listeners who aren't really all that familiar with uh, LDS history. What are you guys talking about <laughs> with inhabitants of the sun? <laughs> Asking for a friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a... So it was... Uh, yeah, you, you I, tell it. I I, uh, I forget if... Uh, I always get them mixed up. Brigham Young and Joseph Smith both taught that there were celestial inhabitants of the sun and of the moon. I believe it was Joseph Smith that said that there are people living on the moon and they look like Quakers. And I thought it was Brigham Young who said that there are inhabitants that live on the, the surface of the sun. And I, I usually get that's those the way I remember stuff, so I could it, be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, so apparently, uh, you know, I was always taught that Earthlings were the only humans in the entire universe who were evil enough to kill our own savior. Uh-huh. So that's why Heavenly Father decided to send Jesus here, because if he sent him to one, if he sent Jesus to the moon, the Quakers weren't going to kill him because the Quakers are nice. But he had to send us to Earth for those Jews to kill him, because those are the only people evil enough to kill their savior. Uh, <laughs> Wait, why are you hesitating? <laughs> I, was gonna say, I was just say, of course the Quakers are happy on the moon. There's plenty of cheese there. <laughs> Not everyone's from Wisconsin, right? <laughs> well, the moon's made of cheese, so it's like an endless supply. <laughs> cheese of their own make. It's like Mormon wine. <laughs> All along, with they've been worshiping Jesus. <laughs> ah, <laughs> brought it back around. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so earlier you mentioned that you in in your in going to some of these symposiums and conventions that you run into people who say that the LDS faith is not a Christian religion and of course most LDS people take huge exception with that argument can you can you give us a brief overview of why a lot of the other Christian faiths don't view the LDS faith as a as a real Christian religion well, let me get this. I mean, let me just allay these concerns right off the bat. Mormonism is Christian. It's it is Christianity, but every other Christian is happy to invoke the no true Scotsman fallacy and say, "Well, <laughs> they believe in something I don't believe in, therefore they're not a true Christian." And that's all it comes down to is just disagreements about uh, Mormon eschatology versus Christian eschatology. Um, Mormons believe in an infinite regression of gods. You know, we all become gods as God is, we once were, and as, as we are, God once was, as God is, we may someday become, um, whereas Christians believe that we were just, you know, dust that God breathed life into, but they're definitely Christian. You read any of the sermons of the early church leaders, they're extremely Christian. They hearken to their own Bible, you know, their, their King James Bible, um, they, they use the Apocrypha in the Bible. They made their own translation of the Bible. 
the Book of Mormon has the word Jesus or the Savior in it like some 4,000 times or something. <laughs> it's like, of course it's Christian. It's just what you consider Christian versus what a Southern Baptist considers Christian versus a Methodist versus uh, you know, a Calvinist, whatever. They're, they're all bickering about finer points of bullshit. Yeah, I think, uh, and this is just my my layperson's view of it, but I think when a lot of the other Christian denominations or people within those different denominations say that LDS people or the LDS faith isn't a quote-unquote true Christian religion, it they, they're talking almost exclusively about uh, the LDS belief in infinite regression that, you know, there, there's a series of gods and we may all become gods. And, and so, you know, the LDS, LDS faith and, and its adherents will always point to and say, no, we believe in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us Christians. We're, we're not necessarily monotheists, right? Where, right, right. And, and, and in a sense, they are. I mean, they still only worship the one true God that created this universe that we all inhabit, but they still have this view that there are other gods out there that that even birthed the God that they worship. But that always seemed really weird to me too. Once I found that once I found that out about the LDS church, that seemed really weird to me that they would choose to worship the son of a god. Like clearly if there are other gods that stretch back however far wouldn't those other gods who have been around for so much longer be so much more wise and and better gods than the gods that the than than the single god that the LDS church teaches that we should worship yeah and this is kind of ingratiated in super deep mormon doctrine i mean this is this is uh i mean this is way down the rabbit hole we're we're cresting some serious weeds out here <laughs> Mormons, so Mormonism at some level believes that when you die, you are resurrected. If you are the super, you know, power Mormon, you know, third degree of the celestial kingdom, you're a 33rd degree Mormon, right? You get your own planet. But at some extent, you don't instantly get that planet as soon as you are resurrected. You have to learn in order to be granted your planet. Like you learn from the other gods of other planets of how to run your planet and then you get your planet, your first planet. And then and you never you get a black belt, you, first... you get a white and delightsome belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You get your own Jesus as a kid. You get your your, you know, harem of thousands of wives for all those spirit babies. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that's your trial, your trial planet, your trial marriage, your trial marriages, so on and so forth. And then you, as you progress further and further into the deeper knowledge of this pantheon of gods, then that's when you begin to create worlds without number. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's to a standard Christian, that's some wackadoodle shit, right? But to Mormons, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, of course that's how it works. Of course that's how we work in the afterlife when I get my own planet. I don't just instantly get worlds without number given to me. I have to learn. I have to educate myself from the other gods. So <laughs> I, I, one thing I do appreciate about Mormonism is it's oddly consistent. It's internally consistent. They do seem to have some kind of answer for whatever seems like a logical question. They say, okay, well, so if God grew up on the planet nearest the star Kolob, where did he come from? Oh, well, he was put there, you know, he was a human, he was birthed there by, you know, his heavenly father. Wait, so was that heavenly father also a human being at some point? Yes, he was. 
wait, so how far back do gods go? Oh, it's an infinite regression. Oh, wow, that makes sense, right? So you can come to these pseudo-logical conclusions, but they, as soon as you like, you hit them with a single ounce of skepticism or scrutiny, the whole goddamn house of cards falls apart. But at least when you're on the inside, shit seems to make a lot of sense, right? <laughs> That's one of my favorite things is to get two Mormon people arguing points of doctrine against each other. <laughs> That's one of the things that I fucking love that I've, I've told the story a few times on the show, but I work with a couple, I work with a couple people who are very LDS people and one day they were having a conversation about, you know, if the Holy Ghost can follow you into a strip joint or not. And <laughs> one of them was, one of them was arguing that, that the Holy Ghost cannot follow you into a strip joint. That's why you're not supposed to go into a strip club. And the other was saying that, oh no, I know for a fact that the Holy Ghost can follow you into a strip club because if the Holy Ghost couldn't, then I would have done some really terrible things while I was in the strip club. Oh my God. <laughs> and there's like me the Holy just Ghost sitting is back. Superman and strip clubs made of lead or something. Like, what the fuck? And there's me just sitting back, like, watching it like a tennis match, just watching the two of these guys talk to each other, like, you're both fucking insane. <laughs> you know, when I was going through seminary, they always said, you know, if you ever see those Jehovah's Witnesses or something outside of the seminary building, don't ever Bible bash. You never Bible bash with other Christians. And I always thought it was because we have the divine truth. We'll just smash them every time. It'll be combative. No, it's because as soon as you start Bible bashing with Christians, you realize how fucking insane your religion is. <laughs> <laughs> So it so is that the 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 most insane thing that you've found about the church? God, I that I cannot put anything on that scale anymore. <laughs> because I I learn insane shit every single day. I I, I that <laughs> that scale of what is insane versus what is not insane has expanded and ballooned to encompass all of Mormon history. And it's it, at this point, it is nigh impossible to try and put a, any any of these levels of crazy on some kind of quantifiable gradient. It's impossible. It's it's all too fucking crazy. And the thing is, like my personal studies in Mormon history are going along with the show as I produce it. So I'm in 1841 right now. Joseph gets assassinated in 1844. Joseph Smith never sets foot inside of Utah. And right now I'm I'm personally studying some some deep Nauvoo history but I'm starting to pick up some books on Utah Mormon history and there's a reason why we are taught so very little about Brigham Young in our Utah studies classes in high school because the man was a monster he was I uh I <laughs> <laughs> I am utterly speechless with what I've been learning in just the past two months of studying Brigham Young intensely. He was truly a despicable, utterly horrific, disgusting human being. Hmm. Something that a Hitler would aspire to. It's absolutely incredible that there are fucking statues covering Salt Lake City of this man, given who he was. And there's a city named after him. And multiple universities named after him. And children that are born today named after him. Yeah, I was born in the city named after him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
fuck, when you understand a little bit of, of, of Utah Mormon history, you realize that Joseph Smith never set foot there and that was solely Brigham Young's theocracy, you begin to realize just how depraved and horrific it was settling in frontier America. Jesus Christ, man, that's, that is, because it's the newest shit on my Mormon history radar, that is the craziest stuff to me. But ask me that same question in five years, it might be what was going on in the earliest 1900s of American, of uh, Utah history. I don't know. Like, that's the thing is, mm-hmm. every time I say, okay, that's a new ceiling. We we just shattered through the glass ceiling of crazy. What the fuck next could I possibly learn that's crazier than this? Then I read one more paragraph and I'm like, oh, fuck, there it is right there. Okay, good. Good to know. There is no ceiling. There's no bottom to this barrel, like this, this barrel of incredible bullshit that I'm, I'm understanding and digging through. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> so if you could point to, if you could sit down with a, with a true believing Mormon and point to one bit of LDS history or doctrine or any other kind of teaching, anything within the scope of LDS church history that that someone who is an adherent of that church should know to to point to that one specific thing and say this is why your church is a lie what would that be i think um i i try as often as possible to never take that approach and this is why because uh, like i am happy i am so excited to engage in a discussion, a really deep discussion about Mormon history with a believing Mormon. But unfortunately, so many people that are Mormons who may have heard my name or may know me, they know that there's nothing on the planet that I want to talk about more than Mormon history. (laughs) So those conversations never happen. But whenever we do get there, instead of saying, this is something that happened in Mormon history, therefore it is bullshit, I say, what is it about Joseph Smith that makes him a prophet? Because the onus is not on me to disprove Joseph Smith as a prophet. The onus is on the person who is claiming that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I say, what is something that makes you believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet? And when they say something, when they assert something, now we have something we can work with. Now we have a baseline to build on this conversation. Otherwise, it becomes combative. Otherwise, you're not making any headway. You're not actually teaching each other. You're not learning from each other. You're just smashing Mormon history against a different interpretation of Mormon history. It's much better to have an open-ended and pleasant and honest conversation by trying to meet somebody where they are instead of saying, this is all that I know about Mormon history. I'm going to brain vomit on you for 20 hours, and you're going to disbelieve in Mormonism after I finish my angry screed. Because that's not how minds are changed. God damn it, Bryce. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, man. I just like conversations. I don't like fighting. What can I say? I'm a peacemaker. No, I I absolutely agree with you. And I I think that's fantastic that you feel that way. But if you had a gun to your head... (laughs) 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 And you had to say... This one thing here, I find like if you if you believe in this or you or you don't like this, this is the linchpin for everything. I would if I were to dive deep into 
what we consider truth in this world. And, and and let me walk you through a hypothetical conversation. Okay. Right. So I'm gonna be me. You be a, a it's not very hypothetical. <laughs> in the <laughs> way to stretch your acting chops there, Bryce. As hard Come as on. it's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be a TBM for just a quick conversation. Okay. Okay. I would say, okay, um, Dan, TBM Dan. Yes, Brother how, Rice? <laughs> how, um, how do we know what we know about the world? How, how do we predict weather patterns? How do we use cell phones? How do we drive our cars around, uh, around the world? Uh, learned observation and patterns. Interesting. And we are able to do those things because people way smarter than you and I have, uh, have come to understand the world in a way that they, they do that makes us so we're able to send rockets to Mars and, and have phones in our pockets that have way more information than any library on the planet has, right? Yeah. Isn't God great that he let those people do that? Yeah, he is really great. So, you know, this is a very interesting thing that I, I find about, about, uh, Joseph Smith's early history is, you know, the scientific method isn't anything new. You know, people who have been studying science and studying physics and, and studying history have been doing that for thousands of years. And, and, you know, those people knew a lot more about history or knew a lot more about the Bible than anybody else at that time because they were some of the foremost scholars. And, you know, it's actually really interesting because, you know, Martin Harris, Martin Harris, he funded the, uh, the, the, the publishing of the Book of Mormon. You know, he mortgaged his farm because he believed so much in the Book of Mormon. Martin Harris actually got a transcription of some of the inscriptions on the plates from Joseph Smith because Martin Harris was a really smart businessman. And, you know, you can't blame him for this. If he was going to fund the Book of Mormon, he wanted to make sure that Joseph Smith was legitimate. So, one thing Martin Harris did was he got this transcription and he took it to a Bible scholar. Because, I, I mean, if somebody were to approach you and say, I have a, um, I have a magic frindle and this frindle will uh, make it so all of your, your ills will go away. It's going to cure cancer and it's going to, uh, it's going to give you free blowjobs every morning. <laughs> How, Sign you know, me up. You'd want to verify that claim, right? You want to be like, well, can I have it tomorrow morning? I'll take that blowjob, Frindle. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I got to test your claim, right? So Martin Harris did the same thing with Joseph Smith. So he actually approached this guy at Columbia University because Columbia was an actual university back then. It was established in, I believe, the late 1700s. And he actually took this manuscript of the, the Book of Mormon characters to a, a couple of professors, one by the name of Samuel Mitchell and the other by the name of Charles Anthon. Now, if you are, uh, you know, what, what do you think happened at this, at this meeting? You know, he, he brought these Book of Mormon transcriptions from Joseph Smith's own hand. What do you think this Bible scholar said about these transcriptions? This is garbage. <laughs> or I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, You're I a TBM, blew, Dan. You're a TBM. I, I, that's Dan. right. That's I, who I you blew are. my blew my cover there. Uh, that they were divinely inspired words of God. Unfortunately, Charles Anthon actually warned Martin Harris that he is being preyed upon by rogues. That's an exact quote. And Charles Anthon said that whatever these characters are, they aren't any language that he recognizes. 
This is a person who was a uh, a Bible Hebrew and Greek scholar, somebody who had you know uh, who was kind of at the forefront of Bible scholarship and historianship. He saw those characters and he didn't buy it. So somebody who saw the actual characters as a Bible scholar didn't buy the inscriptions on the Book of Mormon. Why should we buy that? Well, this because it's it's the restored word of God. Yeah, did they have a stone? This is this is new stuff. Maybe. <laughs> He may have been stoned. Maybe he hadn't seen this kind of language before, because it's it's all new, and it's God passing down his restored church to Joseph Smith. That's an interesting point. So, what uh, what what was this language then? What 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 language did was actually inscripted on the Book of Mormon? Cr- Christianese. <laughs> Uh, look, I, don't, I don't know what it's called, but I know that the church is true, and I know that my mom and dad love me, and I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And click and hang up. Fuck this. I'm out. Well, so, the, I mean, that's that's the way that I approach it, in a way that is inquisitive, that is using the Socratic method to get somebody to the conclusion that I came to, instead of asserting my conclusions and saying that they're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic approach. I. I don't know if you listen to Anthony Magnabosco's uh, podcast or know One much of my about. favorite channels. Uh, the, his YouTube videos are some of my favorite information oh, yeah, on YouTube. It's amazing. Right? I, Wait, I love all that. Aren't we still doing Peter Bogosian or what What, what happened there? <laughs> uh, whoa, don't <laughs> drop that name here. <laughs> he's kind of moved on to, to other people and their good works. <laughs> I, this has been fantastic and i know that we don't have you for very much longer so before we let you go i know that there are some other things that you're very interested in and concerned about that are happening toward the end of this month um namely uh the the march for for protecting lds children from interviews with their bishop can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, so as the current church policy is that the, the, these bishops' interviews are conducted at regular intervals uh, during a, a kid's youth, and they ask sexually explicit questions often, I should say. So uh, this this ex-bishop, Sam Young, who's a current active attending Mormon, uh, actually started this petition to protect the LDS children in order to stop one-on-one interviews behind closed doors with sexually explicit questioning. And the petition has now garnered 16,000 signatures. And on March 30th, he is leading a march to the church office building at noon on a Friday during business hours on General Conference weekend in order to deliver the petition and the signatures to the church office building, along with more than 400 stories of people's firsthand accounts of the abuse and the, uh, the well, let's say mental and emotional abuse and sometimes even the sexual abuse that they experienced at the hands of bishops. And it's it's a really powerful movement, and this is um, a time where we are writing Mormon history, and I am hopeful that given this petition and this wealth of information that's been collected, I'm hoping that historians in 100 years will uh, smile fondly back on this movement. So if people are interested, they can check out the episode of my show, episode 93, Protect LDS Children. You can get a full rundown where I actually interviewed Sam Young, and I peppered in some stories of people who have been uh, affected by this, who have sent in their stories through Protect LDS Children. And I encourage people, if you're able to, get there to the march, join us in there, uh, sign the petition, uh, add your story if you feel comfortable with doing so. You can do so anonymously if you, uh, it, should you decide you would like to. 
And just throw your support behind this. This is a really important and powerful movement. And this is a policy change that the church needs to make. And they're just a little antiquated. Uh, Sometimes the church is a little bit slow and tone deaf when it comes to social pressures that need to change. What? Yeah. Uh, Weird, huh? They were like (laughs) on the bleeding edge of civil rights, man. They were in 1978. (laughs) They let black people hold the priesthood. Yeah. The bleeding edge is in they, they, never mind. (laughs) 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 Violence. Insert violence joke. Never mind. Um, so yeah, I mean, thank you guys for having me on. This has really been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I've been listening to your show for quite a while. I, and I, and hearing you appear on a bunch of our other friends shows Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's been a real pleasure to finally have you on our show and be able to talk to you. We'll have to have you back on again. Likewise, I look forward to it. And I, I hope to have you guys on my show for a uh, hangout at some point as well. This has been a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Fantastic. We'd love to do that. Thank you so much, Bryce. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on Thank the show. Thank you, guys. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. great to finally talk to you. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right. You All do right. the same. Bye-bye. This is Phil Ferguson of the cleverly titled The Phil Ferguson Show, and thank God you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Going back to the doctor, the hypothetical doctor and the, and the astronomer, if you knew that one of the candidates that you're contemplating voting for believed that in the 19th century, a man called Joseph Smith dug up some golden tablets, (laughs) which he he translated and then conveniently lost, and translated moreover, although a 19th century man translated them into 17th century English, If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! Well, the interview with Bryce was a whole lot of fun. What a super nice guy. Yeah, let's talk to him again sometime. I, I like him quite a bit. You have some news for us this week, Matthew? For... <laughs> <laughs> Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, good oh. All right. Uh, school shooter Nicholas Cruz spends his days in isolation, interrupted only by occasional visits from family members, mental health experts, and his lawyers. He sleeps fitfully, eats inconsistently, and spends most of his time in silence and, quote, deep thought, according oh. to jail records released this week by the Broward Sheriff's Office. Are they trying to make him sound like a monk or something? I don't know. Uh, the records offer a glimpse into the daily life of Cruz, who was indicted Wednesday on 17 counts of murder and 17 counts of attempted murder. Uh, in uh, This is a quote from the jail records. Inmate is on lockdown by himself, unable to interact with others. According to one behavior observation report um, dated February 18th, four days after the shooting at uh, the high school in Parkland, um, on that day, Cruz ate his dinner and appeared most alert during a meeting with defense lawyers and a doctor. They were, the report described him as very engaged, responsive, and talkative. During another visit on February 23rd, he was observed smiling and giggling. Hmm. Those words rarely appear in the 36 pages of observa- observations. More often, Cruz is described as silent or sleeping, lying awake and staring at the ceiling, cooperative with detention deputies, but otherwise speaking only when spoken to. Several sentences are blacked out of the reports released by the sheriff's office, which is interesting. Like just sentences in their report that are redacted? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Assistant Public Defender Gordon Weeks has said Cruz is on suicide watch. The observation reports either redact that information or don't include it. But an inmate check sheet for February 15th describes Cruz uh, being strip searched, fed and placed in a suicide gown. I just think it's interesting. Why isn't this a matter of public record? Why would they redact stuff? Uh. Well, yeah, he's not a minor anymore. And Florida has the uh, what's they called like the sun, the sunshine law. Yeah, where they basically everything is fucking public record. Right. So, I have no idea. Hmm. Um, this is all going somewhere. Okay. The final, <laughs> yeah, final observation report released indict uh, indicated Cruz was having more trouble sleeping, twists and turns in bunks, in bunk does not sleep, stares at wall in deep thought, eyes closed, appears to be resting, not asleep. Um, earlier that day, Cruz asked for something to read for the first time, a Bible. Mm. So, uh, once he's forgiven, he'll get to go to heaven then. And, uh, and and if some of his victims weren't right with God at the moment he murdered them, they won't. Seems, seems legit. So there's that. Well, I, I've been watching some stuff on some different, uh, shootings and killers. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and I did watch another thing on Jeffrey Dahmer. Apparently he also found Jesus. Yes, he did. Uh, he started, he went and got baptized and stuff while he was in prison. And he, he started, he Was turned, he like contained in the bicep of one of his victims or? It might've been. <laughs> he, he, he started blaming evol- evolution for the reason why he was doing what he was doing once well, he, once he converted. And he, he, I, he also thought he was the devil at one point. Like mm-hmm. they're saying that, that's why he, cause he said. So he's he, always been a Christian. no. He, I, th- I think it was during the prison interviews where he said he thought he was the devil hmm. or the devil was what was making him do these things because he didn't want to do it. Like he didn't, he didn't want to do what he did, but he couldn't not do it. Hmm. So it was the devil that was making him do it. Well, that, that, that poses an interesting problem for Christianity and free will and the power of God. Yeah. If the devil can make you do things like that. Yeah. Why is there any peace then? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if the devil can force you to do things, why isn't he doing that more often? Or maybe he is and we don't know. And why isn't there more chaos and division? Of course, that's getting worse under Donald Trump. Donald Trump is Satan. <laughs> He's Satan. Mm-hmm. I also did watch uh, the whole thing. as about an hour and a half documentary on the Port Arthur shooting in Australia, which is what caused them to ban guns after that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Which so is, what what'd you learn from the documentary? Uh, very similar to American shootings, like school shootings, the way he just went in and, and started shooting everything up. But their their approach afterwards is what was the difference. And I think it's, from what I learned, so they only outlawed semi-automatic weapons. And they had the buyback and stuff. And it wasn't the way where everyone portrays the Australian thing as you were forced to give up your guns, which totally wasn't the fact in it. It was a uh, voluntary government funded uh, buyback. And I think it was, it was something like 300,000 guns got uh, handed in during the buyback. I think it was more than that, but yeah. It wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be Yeah, when I looked at it. But then they said in the years after that, uh, they have not had a single incident where more than five people were shot at a time and the uh the the uh suicide rate with with firearms dropped significantly and it's basically yeah overall 
everything was better. But the myth of saying, well, Australia got rid of guns. Well, they didn't really get rid of guns. You, people still have guns in Australia. Just you can no longer purchase a semi-automatic rifle. It, do they have enshrined in their constitution a provision that says whatever you want to have as a death machine can well, be yours? Ours doesn't say that either, but they also yeah. were saying that it is a person's right to be able to own a firearm. In their constitution? Well, it was their, uh, the, the... Is it enshrined in their constitution, so, <laughs> Ryan? Do they have a prime... Is it a... It's not a prime minister. What, <laughs> what do they have? Yeah, is it's it prime is a prime minister, minister yeah. yeah. Uh, the prime minister from the time was in the documentary that was, that was leading at that time. And he's, he's the one that said, you know, it's, it's every person's right to be able to own a gun, so which makes me think there might be verbiage in their constitution that says you are allowed to... Was it John Howard in or, 1996? I have no idea. But you can still own firearms, like for hunting and everything else there. Just you can't own, you can no longer purchase semi-automatic firearm. You shall not purchase. (laughs) Which would be the same here in the U.S. Which is the same thing where people are like, well, if we ban all uh, semi-automatic rifles and all that kind of stuff, well, then the bad guys are just going to get them. Well, how many fully automatic machine guns are bad guys getting? Because we, Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. are still out there. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. still get them. And I was thinking about this thought the other day. There's no such thing as a black market for guns. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this, this thought. thought. <laughs> yeah. When people always say the bad guys will get them on the black market. Well, there is, is no black market. All these guns these people have were legally purchased. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that gun shows are probably the closest thing to a black market. But it's not black. The- it's not because it's perfectly legal for you to buy a gun in a private sale. There's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing black market about yeah, you I buying suppose. a gun from another person in a private sale with no paperwork. Yeah. That is perfectly 100% legal to do but that. But I guess I guess I guess once you ban something then that creates a void for a black market to emerge though. But these but there's no black market. Well there is a black market for fully automatic machine guns but they're fucking expensive. Yeah. And these people that can't once these people are legally selling someone they know they can't acquire a firearm in a store are still paying a shitload of money for those. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But the person that bought it in the first place legally bought that in a store with the intention to legally resell it to someone they know can't have it because there's no law saying they can't. So what do you mm-hmm. think the difference is between the U.S. and Australia as far as their willingness to just say, no, this is enough. This is fucking crazy. Well, I wonder if it has to do with the smaller population. I think that's maybe part of it. It was easier to get a smaller group of people to be on the side of saying, hey, this is horrible. And it touched, I mean, something like if something happens in a community, it might touch the whole community, but doesn't touch the whole U.S. the same way as it touched that community. Where if something in a, in a part of Australia, it might touch more of Australia and uh, in a, more of a, you know, it punches them all in the heart. Like, hey, we were attacked. Australia was attacked. That's, you know, we, they all take a hit. Kind of like 9-11. Everyone in the U.S. all of a sudden got patriotic and felt that. Well, we all got to hate brown people. Uh, yeah, and the kid that shot up the uh, Port Arthur shooting wasn't a brown kid. Mm. He was actually, they said his, he was, the, the kid was actually a millionaire. He had inherited a shitload of money, but both of his parents had died and he was depressed. Mommy and daddy aren't around and I'm sad. And yeah, he just took spot on semi-automatic <laughs> rifles and shot the place up but then I was watching the thing about Columbine and drawing some conclusions from that because when Columbine happened was when the Brady Bill was enacted you couldn't buy AR-15s you couldn't buy any of those things they used shotguns and tech nines a tech nine is basically a, a glorified pistol yeah 
They were in there for four hours and killed 12 people. This kid that shot the place last week was in there for four minutes and killed 17 people. The guy in Vegas, what, he was shooting for all of 10, 15 minutes? It was a while. I don't know how long, but it was. And he, but he, he so, wounded like 500. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just throwing that much more lead down. And it's also a more high power. If they would have been, if he would have been sitting up there with one of those tech nines, the bullet wouldn't have done much by the time it got to him. Cause it's just shooting a low powered nine millimeter round. Yeah. Huh. Versus having the access to having a high powered round that can shoot really fast. So Nicholas Cruz has found God. So did Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer found God. Yeah. Mm. Before he was murdered. Hmm. Yeah, he, he before, got murdered. Before he was left alone with a, a, in a May, murderer. In, the, in, 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 in like, the shower with a broomstick. <laughs> it was a pipe, I think. I thought, it was a, I thought he used the broomstick was to sodomize broomstick? him. I don't know, but uh, that'll do it for the time. <laughs> Wait, one more story. <laughs> okay, one okay. more story. I want to do this one because it's an update story. Yeah, that's, that's uh, okay. Is it cheery? Because I brought everybody down. Eh, it, it was a story that had a mild bit of contention on the show last time it came up. Uh-oh, was it for and, me? And Yep, me and, me and you. Okay. And then and this this one uh, is written by Todd Starnes, so that's not going to help anybody. Gross. <laughs> Back in 1925, the American Legion erected a memorial in Bladensburg, Maryland to honor the memory of 49 men who perished during World War I. The 40-foot-tall memorial became known as the Peace Cross. Yep, I saw this. In 2014, the American Humanist Association, a group that believes in being good without uh, God, filed a lawsuit alleging the cross-shaped memorial is unconstitutional and demanding it be demolished, altered, or removed. They allege the cross carries an inherently religious message and creates the unmistakable appearance of honoring only Christian servicemen. Today's decision sets dangerous precedent by completely ignoring history, and it threatens removal and destruction of veteran memorials across America. (laughs) On Wednesday, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed and ruled the historic memorial must be torn down, all because the Bladensburg Memorial is in the shape of a cross. Oh, because it's in the shape of a cross. Now, I think if I remember He's correct- framing that fucking wrong. It I doesn't know. have to be torn down. It has to be moved off of public property. Yeah. And if I, if I remember my, my final stance on that, cross be gone, plaque with soldiers' names on it, okay. What, oh, was that the final position you yeah, slid like, like, into? Yeah, yeah, the cross, okay. yeah. <laughs> I was saying, like, to have a memorial for the people from that town that were fought in World War II and died. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. fine to have cross be gone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, well then, <laughs> cross be gone. gone. <laughs> well, then we don't disagree. I, it just at the beginning you didn't, you just didn't seem to care. I thought you didn't care what shape it took. It was just for soldiers or whatever. So Billy, what's his fucking be hawking that shit on late night TV? Cross. Have be you gone. got? <laughs> yeah. Have you got problems with Billy this? Mays here <laughs> <laughs> for cross be gone? <laughs> uh. Well, fuck Todd Starnes. They're 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 going to end up they're going to end up do, making alterations to that forty foot cross, or moving it, or something. Yeah. The, the courts have decided, and he's all but heard about it. And I think oh. my original argument with why the cross might be able to stay was because of Arlington, but then I found out I was wrong. Yeah, that was some place in France. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, place in France, but even the, in Arlington, 
it's it's not everyone's not a cross that I when I looked it up again, I'm like, oh yeah, the Jewish ones is an actual Star of David. It doesn't have a cross on it, it's not the Star of David in a cross. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The yeah, only thing th- is well, you thought all the grave markers were crosses. Were, were crosses yeah. marking the graves. Right. Uh and the Jewish ones had uh, the Star of David in the middle of the cross, and I was incorrect in that. Their st- stones were actually the Star of David. Mm. But then that also goes to say what about the other religions that these people are guaranteed were a part of that are not part of Christianity with the cross that are now have a cross for that? Mm-hmm. You mean this big cross like this one? No, no I mean in uh, Arlington. Sure. I thought we yeah. already settled Arlington. I thought they were just like those white headstones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The France one was one. Yeah. Yeah. But even there, but not, ha- yeah. <laughs> well, they don't have our constitution, so I don't know what they're doing. But... Well, that's considered American soil. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Oh. Before we end this one, I want to make sure that everybody, if you have not listened to Serious Inquiries Only, where Thomas and Andrew are talking about the Stormy Daniels case, you should absolutely go and listen to that because it's fucking awesome. Really, really good show. And and that's all I have to say about that. Like, don't, we're, we're not even going to address it. Like, go and listen to the Serious Inquiries Only episode of Thomas and Andrew talking about the Stormy Daniels case because it's fucking awesome. And Stormy Daniels is now one of my new heroes. Well, she's always been a hero of mine, but now she's (laughs) even more heroic for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I also want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters. Yes. That would be Michelle Short. Christy Kalbach. Camille Borowski. Numania. Alan Fur, Gay Atheist. Larry Wilson. Dr. Dan, Matt's boss from the 2SC podcast, to whom we pledge loyalty. Janet Uter. Let them eat kafefe. Stephen Andrews. Marius Kotbuchikowski. Rob Otto. Vanessa Lowe. Utah Outcasts. Tim Jacobson. Matt Tuller. Megan Kennedy. Andrew Vodopich. Randy Hamrick. Jeremy Goodson. Angelica Pearson. Wesley Aaron. Savita Kuna. Purple Dragon. And Taylor Grin. Thank you all very, very much. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, honestly, the list continues to grow and it's already much longer than I ever thought it would be. Matt mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier. I'm just kind of stealing your line yeah. that you mentioned earlier because you're absolutely right. Like I'm happy people are digging the show. If you dig the show and want to become a Patreon member, you can do so by going to Godless Revolution. No, don't do that. Go to no. patreon.com yeah. slash Godless Revolution <laughs> and then you can sign up and- and become a patron of the show, and we'll put your name on the list and read it at the end of every show. But thank you all so much for listening. And so until next week, crucify those tape ears. Grab a seer stone and leave a review. And rate the show five times a day toward Barkinagle. Tape back Mormons wait before you leave the pews I have an article in the Deseret News It explains how back in ancient Nephite times They didn't have horses so they had to be Taperback riders Taperback riders It might be hard for you to get this thing It's an explanation known as loan shifting Joseph didn't know what a taper was So he said they rode horses But they really all were taperback riders Taperback riders Taperback riders
something isn't right Was the Book of Mormon translation loose or tight? If Kiralons, Qumans, and C9s are words Then why couldn't Joseph just have used the term Tableback Riders? Tableback Rider! I warn you that sounds like apostasy I have PhD so you should trust in me It'll all make sense if you believe it's true If you have any questions look me up My name is Taper Dan Writer Taper Dan Writer Okay, well, we're kind of always recording. <laughs> we got to have some stuff for outtakes, man. Yeah. Now, Mike, this game has turned into a 200 fucking gig game on my fucking PlayStation. Yeah, they'll churn right into that. <laughs> That's like, you let them. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Brain thought. Is the call still going? Why does it say hang up call? Um,. It's totally still going. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're just a bunch of three dummies looking at the computer going, where do I need to click up next? What the fuck is going on, man? <laughs> it's our first time using this. Man, I'm glad we didn't talk shit about you. I was actually hoping you would. That's why I had my mic muted, goddammit. Like, are they going to say something mean now? Uh, no. <laughs> no, we love the Bryson Blankenagelings. <laughs> the Barkenagel? Oh, my God, that was the best. Uh, Barkenagel. Uh, I love it. All right, I'll, uh, I'm going to close my tab here. See you guys later. All, All right. right. See, see you guys. Right.